Well, let's get to our sermon today. I entitled it part two of You Are a Minister, and it comes from Colossians 2, verses 1 to 5. Isn't it psycho? It's like May, but we only went through one chapter of Colossians, but that's Eddie Bang style. This is what you're going to get if you have me as your pastor, and you're like, oh my gosh, we only went through one chapter. Anyway, here we go. The Word of God reads, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea. And for all who have not met me personally, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And God, more than just understanding, convict our hearts so that we might become all that you created us to be, all that you saved us to be. Lord, we pray, God, that you convict our hearts, you convince us that we were never meant to be a member of a church, but we were always meant and created and saved to be a minister for your glory. So God, make us your ministers and use us powerfully to reach our generation with Jesus and the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you were here last week, I said last week that we are all ministers. You know, if you are saved, if you are in Christ, not only are you like this precious, treasured child of God, but God declares you his minister, you know, and that's absolutely huge. And and that's the permanent, fundamental shift that I want all of you guys to, you know, to change in your in your minds and hearts. You know, especially if you grew up in this church, you just think, oh, I just went through the system. And I guess I, I ended up here at FLM or KB or something like that. But no, the reason why you're sitting here, and maybe this is the first time you're hearing it, but you need to hear it because this is what it is. You were saved to be a minister for the kingdom. You were not saved to be a member of a church. Okay, we'll get to that in a second. But you were never saved just, just to be a member, just to give your offering, just to help out or volunteer for a little bit. No, the church doesn't need people like that. But what God calls us all to be is ministers, okay? And so that's the fundamental permanent shift that I want you to make on how you view yourself. You know, in all honesty, no church needs good members. No church does. But every church needs great, committed ministers, okay? And this is what we want you to be because this is who God called all of us to be. But wait, hold up, Eddie. I thought about what you said last week. And you want to know something? No, it's not true because I read in 1 Corinthians that we're all members of the body. Why are you going and trying to change the vocabulary on us, Eddie Bang? Right? And it's true. It's, it, we are called to be members of the body. But if you read that passage in 1 Corinthians, what's the function? You know what the function of every member of the body is? To minister to each other. That's the function of why you are a member of the body. So therefore, we are all ministers, right? All members are called to be ministers. And we don't operate as a body or as a church until we all are ministering to one another. And that's where I want you to go. And that's the picture that I want you to, you know, to understand about yourself. If you're part of our church, you must, in order for us to function as a church the way God designed it, you must give yourself fully to be a minister to each other. That's the only way 
we can function as a church. Is that cool? Do you guys get that? That has to be crystal clear in your mind. Last week we said that ministers must be willing to suffer. They must work hard as they take responsibility for the church and mature disciples. You know, in today's passage, today's sermon is very simple. We're just going to expand on those points together. And I hope by the end of this sermon, you realize just how crucial it is for you to see yourself and to operate as a minister of the church and no longer as just a guy who attends, right? No longer as just a member, okay? We cannot be the church without your commitment to ministry. So I want to start out this sermon by restating the goal of ministry. Last week we said the goal of ministry was to produce mature disciples. It's actually reworded here, restated here in verse two, if you want to look at that for a second. Verse two says that, you know, um, ministers are people who help others have the full riches of complete understanding. That's what it says in verse two, right? So that people may have the full riches of complete understanding. Complete understanding of what? Jesus Christ. Okay, so here it is. Here's the goal. Our goal as ministers is to produce fully mature disciples who enjoy Christ and who flourish in the riches of understanding Christ. And if you look at this verse, verse two, there are two modifying words which are absolutely crucial. It says so that we could have the full riches and complete understanding of Christ. And what this is saying is that God's goal for you as a minister and God's goal for our church is for each one of us to actually have the full riches of Christ, to operate in the full riches of Christ within our lives. Not only that, but to completely understand all who God is. And what he wants to do and his will within our lives so that we can live it out. Do you see? It's actually possible to have the full riches, to operate and enjoy the full riches of Christ and to have complete understanding of who God is and to operate within his will. But that only happens when all of us choose to operate as ministers. Do you guys get this? This is the picture. Have I beaten this horse you know, repeatedly? You have to get this. So please, please, please get this. But Eddie, how do we how do we become that? How do we become that kind of minister that builds that kind of church? These past two weeks are the first time that I'm hearing stuff like this. And that's a, today I'm going to try to give you some practical handles on how you can actually grow to become this kind of minister to build this kind of church together. Okay? And the, our passage gives us three practical ways we can do that. And the first one is this. Invest yourself fully into others. That's the first point. How do you become a minister that makes this kind of a church? Invest yourself fully in others. Verse 1, it says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for all those in Laodicea and for all those who have not met me personally. You know, in our previous passage last week, we said that Paul is actually working to the point of exhaustion. Remember we said that was one of our points? This word here in this verse, contending, is actually that same word. Another translation for that word is agonizing. What's that saying? Paul is agonizingly working to the point of exhaustion for these believers. That's what a minister does, right? But what's really interesting about this particular passage is that Paul is saying that he's agonizingly working hard to the point of exhaustion for people that he's never met before. Isn't that interesting? Do you ever work exhaustingly to the point of exhaustion for people that you've never met? 
Probably not, right? But this is actually what makes the gospel ministry pretty darn amazing, okay, if you understand what's happening here. You know, I bet you never thought about it, but your, your growth and your blessings that you've experienced in your life are the result of other people's spiritual investment in you. Have you ever thought about that? That the reason why you know God, the reason why you've come this far is because other people have spiritually invested in you. Maybe when I say that, the first people you think about are your pastors, your previous pastors. Maybe you think about your parents and maybe they're really godly, which is absolutely awesome. And the direct influence that they've had over your life, you should praise God for that. You should be thankful for that. Maybe some other people who have had direct influence on your life are some of your leaders, your co-leaders, your officers, you know, the elders, your friends. And those are people who had that kind of direct influence upon you. They taught you, they corrected you, they love you, they support you, you know, they rebuke you and they power and encourage you. It's awesome. Be thankful for that. You're where you are today because of that direct investment of those people. It's awesome. But there are so many more who have invested in you that you probably have never met and probably never will until we get to heaven. There are people, you know, do you you guys know that there are people that are praying for you every single morning, not only in Sydney, but around the world. There are people that are praying for this church, people that we don't even know. And, be, and God uses those prayers to influence you, to change you, right? To make a difference within your life and to point you towards Jesus, right? And if you, and if you understand that, if, and, and next, if you think about all those pastors that actually had an influence on your life, let's just use them as an example. The question I want you to ask yourself is, these guys became pastors, but they weren't pastors, you know, when they were born. But think of all those people that invested in that pastor to make that pastor the man or woman that he turned out to be to influence your life. How many people How many people do you think had a, spirit, a direct spiritual investment upon that person so that you could be blessed and transformed and changed through him? Do you guys understand what I'm talking about here? There are so many people that invested in that person. Every investment made in another person is like a link in the chain that God used to personally invest in you and to transform you. And that's the kind of picture that I want you to know about, right? Can you imagine how many links in the chain there were to make your parents who they are, to make your pastors and your teachers who they are, your friends who they are today? So many. So many people that you'll never meet. So many people that you don't even know. But yet because of their direct spiritual investment in people, lives are changed so that they could become blessings to you. Right? And if you truly understand that principle, then there are people even right now that you have never met, that you probably will may never ever meet, that are investing in your future pastors, your future leaders, so that they might be blessings to your future family and even yourself. So many people are currently working hard to help you grow and to bless you. Your growth and blessing are the result of other people's spiritual investment. So, If we understand that this is how God operates the kingdom, that he causes people to pray and invest in others so that they might grow, people that we don't even know, people that we've never met, then this verse makes sense because Paul's saying that he labors to the point of exhaustion, agonizing so that the believers he's never met before in a different place can grow to know Jesus, right? And it's not only is that amazingly normal, but it's amazingly wonderful. Because that's how gospel work 
is. Like many links in a chain, there have been so many people who have invested in you so that you could be where you are right now. So here's the challenge for first poor point number one. When are you going to become the next link in the chain to bless another person, right? When are you going to be the next link in the chain for someone else? How are you going to agonize and work hard right now to grow other people into maturity? Oh, here's a simple question. Let's narrow it down to this. In whom are you personally investing in right now? That's it. It's absolutely crucial. You know, when I was young and I was in uni, I had this older brother approach me one time after a service and he said, Eddie, would you like to hang out regularly so that we could grow together? And this goes like two, two, three years older than me. You know, so I'm like 19 years old or something. Like that. So it's a little bit intimidating when a guy that's a few years older says he wants to hang out with you. But I wanted to grow so badly that I was like, yeah. You know, and this guy was one of the leaders of the church, and he was a guy that I really respected. So I was so kind of, I was really excited. I was a little intimidated, but I was very excited, you know. And it was wonderful. We, you know, even though he was a leader of the church, we met every single day, almost every single day. And we prayed together. We would, like, debrief on our whole day together. You know, he, we would teach each other, pray for each other. We'd go to church together. We ended up doing ministry together. We did everything so that we could grow. And I swear, I grew so much through this one guy's personal investment of of me and the thing is um i believe that he was one of the greatest foundational influences in my life and a lot of things that i've learned and and the christian that i've become i still am because of the investment that he's made in me you know many years later when i was about to graduate seminary i met him once again you know we hooked up and it was great and you know he shared something with me in that one day i haven't seen him since but that one day he shared something with me that I, I'll never forget. He drew this picture and he said, and he drew this picture of like a teardrop hitting like water, right? And he says this, Eddie, all we are in this world is a drop. But when we be, when we're a drop and when that drop falls, you know, let me, let me get this right. When that drop hits the church in discipleship, a ripple effect happens you know and when a drop hits like this clear surface of water you know how the ripples kind of go out in circles concentric circles going out and out he's like that's exactly what happens when when our drop hits the church in discipleship a ripple effect happens that spreads farther and wider than we can ever imagine and it's so true when you choose to disciple others when you choose to invest yourself in others we become this link in the chain we become a drop that affects generations for Christ. Ministers, we choose to invest ourselves fully in others because we are convinced that our investment in others will produce eternal fruit multiplied in ways we can't imagine, reaching multiple generations for his glory. That's why we invest. Right? So invest yourself fully in other people today. Even if it's just one person, do it. Agonize to mature them in Christ and create eternal ripples for the kingdom. Point two, cultivate love and unity, unity in the church. Cultivate love and unity in the church. Verses two and three, Paul says, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely 
Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Once again, the goal of ministers is to disciple other people to full maturity in Christ. Here, it, it says we that's how we obtain the full riches of complete understanding of Christ. But this is the, what I want you to look at here. How does this verse say, how do these verses tell us that we are to obtain the full riches of Christ? How do, what are these, what, what, what does it say in these verses? How does it teach us on how we are to actually obtain the complete understanding of Christ? You know what it's saying? It says, through unity, love, and encouragement of believers. Isn't that amazing? It's huge, right? It's saying that you cannot fully know Christ. You cannot even fully enjoy Christ apart from the unity, love, and encouragement of other believers. And that's huge. God designed the church so that you could never know and you could never fully know and enjoy Jesus Christ unless you are in true fellowship with people in the body. It's crazy. It's psycho, but it's true. That means that you just can't go home and spend your life studying the Bible and theology and think that you know Jesus well. You can't. Because God didn't design it that way. You could spend your whole life trying to study the Bible, trying to study theology, but you cannot fully know, enjoy Jesus unless you get to the point in your life where you are practicing and exchanging love with people inside the church, right? And that's just not my interpretation of this passage. This is what every theologian has, that I've read this week has said. I'm going to quote one to you. His name is F.F. Bruce, great theologian of our day. And this is what he said. He said, the revelation of God, which is Christ, the revelation of God cannot be properly known apart from the cultivation of brotherly love within the Christian community. What's it saying? It's saying that you can only fully know and enjoy Jesus Christ when you are fully committed to cultivating love and unity within the church. Do you guys know what the word cultivate is? That word cultivate means to work hard in order to grow, right? We cultivate fields. For, for like, you know, plants and stuff. I don't, I don't know, I'm just making it up. You know, but that's what we do. We cultivate is working hard in order to grow, which means that we cannot fully know Jesus until unless we're working hard to grow love and unity among fellow believers in the church. And if that is true, the implications of that are actually massive, aren't they? What's the first thing that it's probably telling us? It, it means that you cannot really grow in church if you're simply attending a service or if you're watching a live stream or just listening to a podcast, no matter how much you think you're growing, you cannot grow by just listening to a podcast or just watching a live stream or attending a service. You might gain little bits of knowledge here and there. You actually might experience God to a small degree and it's, it's going to touch you. That's awesome. But you cannot grow. Your growth will always be limited. Why? Because God created and designed the, um, your growth and your enjoyment of Christ that's always going to be limited by the amount that you choose to love and practice unity with other believers in the church. Right? It's crazy, but unfortunately, somewhat true. You can only know Jesus when you're fully committed to cultivating that. And so that's what we need to do. You know, we need to be involved with people, loving them, caring for them speaking truth into their lives, walking with them, struggling with them, you know, being under their authority so they can speak. We're giving them the, the platform to speak into our lives so that we can experience all of Christ through the body of believers. In order to do that, we need to be fully involved in other people's lives to truly grow in Christ. If you are not, you won't. 
right? If you really want to grow, you have to commit yourself to caring for others, sharing with others, loving others, you know, building others, being rebuked by others, rebuking others, teaching others, being under their authority so that we can grow together as a body. That's the only way that you will experience Christ fully and that you'll understand him fully. That's why, here we go, you cannot just come to service, give your offering, and then say a few prayers and go and think that you're actually growing. Right? That's what a lot of people like to do. They just want to attend church. I'm just going to give my offering. I'll say a few prayers. I'll smile. I'll, t- I'll say hi to people, but I'm not going to actually get involved. You're never going to grow. Because the point is that your growth is always limited by your investment and involvement in other people's lives. Right? So you're never going to be able to grow. God never built the church so that you could uh, just go through the motions of Christianity. God never built a church so that you could feel good about your fulfilling your religious duty by attending church or things like that. It's never meant to be like that. So he built it so that you can fully know Jesus. He built it so that you could fully enjoy Jesus through the lives and the fellowship of other people inside our church. Do you guys get that? It's huge. But Eddie, that's, that's, that's kind of intimidating because we got a lot of people here on Sunday. You're saying I'm supposed to love all these guys? It's hard to do. I have trouble loving just a few people. And I get it. And I don't expect all you guys to love everybody and to be in true fellowship with everybody in this, even in the people in this room. But you can be in true fellowship with everyone in your CG, can't you? Right? And so if there's anything I want you to do, how do I practice this, Eddie? Simple. Fully commit yourself to be involved with every single life in your CG. That's it, right? If you're a part of a CG, today's the day you make this decision. I want to be fully involved with everyone's life. I want to love them, care for them. I want to protect them. I want to like build them. I want them to speak into my life. I'm going to give them the authority to do that. We're going to grow together. We're going to speak truth together. We're going to study truth together. We're going to love each other. I'm going to be there for their highs. I'm going to be there for their lows. And hopefully they'll be there for mine. And hopefully they'll be there for all of mine. And that's what, that way, through that, you will know Christ. You will experience Christ. And you'll learn exactly the wisdom and the joy behind everything that you start learning together. Right? Isn't that, is that, is that cool? Do you guys understand that? Is that very simple enough? So here's my advice to you guys, and not only as members, but even to you leaders. Don't treat CG ever like a Bible study. Okay? That is not the number one thing about CG. We did not create CG so you could study the Bible together only. It's part of it. But treat CG first and foremost like a family. And if you're going to be part of a CG, commit yourself to be a member of that family, a good member, okay, not the bad member, you know, a good minister, a great minister of that small family. And that's what I want for you to do. So it's a place that we created so that you can love each other, practice love, practice unity. You know, we can study scripture together so we can rebuke each other, so we can grow together, we can sharpen each other, so we can care for each other, so we can, you know, hold each other's hands when we're going through tough times together. And we can like, you know, throw each other parties when we're going through great things together. But you got to be involved in that if you want to grow spiritually, if you want to fully experience and know Jesus. I know that's a burden for our leaders. We got to make our CGs like that. It's tough. But that's what CGs are all about. And that's what church is all about. Your growth in Christ will always be limited by your commitment to cultivate love. Right? So you're not just there to attend. You're there to work hard to grow love and unity among your 15 people. You know? That's how we're going to grow together. So how 
So the question once again for this point then is, how are you currently cultivating love and unity in the church? How are you currently cultivating love and unity even in your own CG? Maybe you're sitting there, you're like, oh man, Eddie, I don't know how to do that. It's difficult. It's a big challenge, but that's what I want to do, but I don't know how to do it. So here's my suggestion to you. Message your CG leader. Ask your CG leader today. Hey, Eddie said this in point number two. How can I better cultivate love and unity within our CG? Can you tell me how I can do that? And your CG leader hopefully will give you at least one or two directives. And if they do, will you obey them? Okay. I'm not trying to create this as like, you know, whatever, but uh, it just works that way. If your CG leader truly believes this is the best thing we can do as 15 people in this circle to cultivate love and unity, you know, that's the guy and that's the woman that's praying for your CG. That's the person that like wants to see everybody grow. And so work together to make that happen. Okay. Um, when we are committed to cultivating love and unity in the church, we will obtain the full riches and complete understanding of Christ. Lastly, thirdly, we need to protect others from deception. Verse four and five, it says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Here, Paul is actually warning the Colossian believers for the first time in this letter that, hey, there are some deceivers in your church. There are, there are some people who have false teachings. And the thing is, they aren't outsiders. They're actually people in, within your church, right? You know, way at the beginning of this letter, when we first started this letter at the beginning of the year, we said that one of the main reasons why Paul was writing this letter was to warn these Colossian believers of these errant teachings, of these uh, fine-sounding arguments, which really are just false teachings. And the thing is this, this is what we need to realize here, because this is what history has taught us. The teachings and the theologies that are being taught, these false teachings, you know, they are not so wrong that they sound completely off. But they are wrong enough that if we were to actually practice them, it'll be destructive to our faith. Do you see? So here's the application. Build your faith upon Christ and the gospel alone. That's it. Build your faith upon Christ the God and the gospel alone. Do not build your faith upon Christian culture, okay? Do not build your faith on Christian fads or whatever's hot these days that people are talking about. Do not build your faith upon church-isms or denominationalisms, okay? And the reason why I say that is, look, I've been a pastor of Reformed congregations. I've been a pastor of Pentecostal congregations. I've been a pastor of youth. I've been a pastor of uni students. I've been a pastor of adults. I've been a pastor of Americans, Koreans, and Australians for 25 years. Dude, I've, I've done a lot, okay? I've been like, I've done the whole gamut here. And the thing is, you know, I've seen a lot over these past 25 years. Spiritual fads come and go. It's huge. You know, you're talking about one thing one day. You're not talking about it tomorrow. Spiritual hot topics, those things change every few years. You know, what we think is so important today in theology, no one talks about 10 years later. It's so like that. You know what I'm saying? But you know what will, what will always be of utmost importance and necessity? 
Jesus Christ and the gospel. That's it. You know what I'm saying? You will never go wrong if all you know is Jesus Christ in Scripture and the gospel laid out to us in Scripture. Verses 2 and 3 say that in Christ alone is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, which means that he is all that you need. That's it. It's written right there. You don't need this gift. You don't need that experience. You don't need this knowledge. You don't need that practice. All you need is Christ. Jesus Christ and the gospel are the blacks, are the black and whites in this absolutely gray world. He and the gospel are the only absolute truths that truly exist. Therefore, they are the only things that we need, Christ and the gospel, to build a solid faith. And they are the truths that will protect you and protect your brothers from false teachings and even other teachings that just sound okay but are slightly off. And the question is, Eddie, you know, what if I do encounter a, a teaching that sounds okay but might be slightly off? How do I know if they're slightly off? And really simply, two things. Number one, scripture. If it's not in scripture, if it's not clearly stated in scripture, you don't have to follow it, okay? That's it. Number two is what our passage is saying today. If you are truly involved in true fellowship with other believers who are basing their faith upon Christ and the gospel, if, you're true, if you are in true fellowship with other believers that love Jesus, want more of Jesus within their lives, and want to follow Scripture, then you, as brothers and sisters, collectively will be able to decide, hey, I think this is a little bit off-center. Doesn't sound quite kosher, you know? And, and you guys will come to this conclusion together, I don't think we need it, let's just concentrate on Christ and the gospel. Or it might be like, hey, I think it is scriptural, let's practice this together. I think we can do that as a body together. And that is our responsibility as ministers. It's not enough that we are centered upon Christ and growing. If we truly want to invest our lives in others and truly know and enjoy Christ fully within our church, all of us must be committed to protecting each other from false teachings. That's why we grow strongly in Christ and the gospel alone. That is the only black and white truth in this gray world. You know, there's a very common uh, saying in sports. Do you guys know this? A great offense wins games, but a great defense wins championships. You know, and I think the same in the spiritual life. You know, we can do so many great things to cultivate amazing spiritual environments within the church, can't we? And we talked about it today. We can invest ourselves fully in others. We can work hard to produce unity and love within this body. But it can all come crashing down if we don't work just as hard to protect our brothers and sisters from the evil one, from all the attacks, and from all these slightly off teachings that we might encounter within our lives. This is why we need to protect each other so that we can make it to the finish line together. That's our responsibility as ministers. You don't just look at your CG member and say, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be committed to you. No, it's our responsibility to help each other, drag each other so that we can all cross the finish line together. And the thing is, that to me, that's the perfect picture. You know, when I look at myself as your pastor, I don't look at myself as your pastor. I look at myself as the guy that is responsible to drag you across the finish line. And I don't care how you get there. We're going to get there together. Do you know what I'm saying? You don't want to listen to me. I don't want to listen to you. But we need each other to get there because I need you to grow in Christ. I need you so that I can stay centered in Christ. And there'll be times that we hate each other. There'll be times that we don't like each other, but I don't care. I'm committed to you to get you over that finish line, and I need you to be committed to me to get me over the finish line too. Do you understand that? That's the church. That's what ministers commit themselves to when they join a church. Church don't need members. 
Church needs ministers. And that's what we need you to be. Do you guys understand that? Right? That's what we need to protect each other. Uh, are you guys understanding how crucial it is for this fundamental permanent shift to happen? Right? How long have you attended church where we just come and it's just like, oh, yeah, I did it. It was okay. You know, this, this crap. <laughs> That's not how God never designed the church to be like that. We need to be fully committed ministers so that we can help each other grow, so that we can show and reveal Christ to each other, be Christ to each other, and so that we can help each other cross the finish line together. Do you know what I'm saying? That's how crucial it is that you be a minister, right? And not a member. So that's how important it is. Do you guys understand that? Yes? Are you guys getting that picture? Can I just end my sermon with one last point that I'm going to make? It's found in verse 2 and 3. It says, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know, uh, a lot of theologians say that verse 3 is like the pinnacle of this book, the pinnacle of Jesus in this book, because in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I think that's, there we go. See, look at this. See that on the wall? <laughs> that's our theme, actually, the full gospel theme for this year. Uh, anyway, because it's huge. This is, this is the main verse of Colossians. This is like the pinnacle of Christ in Colossians. It says that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found and can be found in Jesus Christ. We can discover that together. And I don't know about you, but I want that. I didn't join church just so that I could do this. I am here because I want Jesus. I want to know him. If it says the full riches of Christ can be made, I want to experience and enjoy the full riches of Christ. If it says that I can completely understand who God is and what he's all about, I want that. I don't want to waste my life and my time in a part of a church where we just blah, blah, blah with Jesus or whatever, or blah, 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 these spiritual things. I want to know Christ. I want to know God. You know what I'm saying? And I want to know him so badly that I need you to help me know him. That's what this passage says, doesn't it? I want to know Jesus inside and out so that I'm with him in my highs and my lows so that he's with me, you know, in all my joys and in all my disappointments. I want him in every single part of my life. I want my whole life to be about him so that I can be used to do eternal things for his glory and his kingdom and so that I can every single day discover more and more how amazing and beautiful our Savior is. Don't you? If that's the case, then we need each other for that to happen. It cannot happen unless you're committed to me and I'm committed to you. Do you know what I'm saying? I want that so badly. This is what I'm going to say to you. Don't block me. <laughs> you know, it sounds so bad. Don't block my blessings. Don't get in the way of me knowing Jesus. I need you to be a minister so that I can experience Christ more. And you need me to be fully committed to you and to everybody here so that we can all grow as a body of Christ together, so that we can all experience Christ together. That cannot happen unless we're all committed. Do you know what I'm saying? That's how God built it. So, I, please don't prevent me from experiencing and knowing Jesus. But when you choose not to be committed to this body, when you choose not to be a minister and to love others and to care for others, to pray for others, to carry each other's burdens, all that stuff that we've ever talked about at church, then you prevent me from knowing and experiencing Christ. Don't do that to me. Don't do that to your brother or sister. Do you guys understand this? 
You want to turn to a neighbor and say, don't block me. Don't block Jesus from me, brother. You know, don't do that. I, sorry. I, don't, I hate this. Stuff. I don't hate when pastors do that. Don't do that. But be fully invested in each other, in each other, be fully involved to promote love and unity within each other and protect each other from deception. Bottom line is church needs ministers. We don't need members. We need ministers. We don't need people demanding things to make them happy in the church. We need people who are committed to seeing each other grow and enjoy Jesus to the max, making the church what it was always meant to be, a place of worship and transformation through the unity and love of its people. Let's be ministers together. Let's pray. I know that these past two weeks, what I say is a little bit confronting, but I think it's good to be confronted. By the time you get to FLM, you're old enough to have experienced church long enough, and you know maybe I'm talking to more of the people who've gone to church for a long time, but you've seen what church could be about and the bad stuff church could be about. And the reason why you're still here is because deep inside you're convinced that that is not what church is about. Church is about Christ. Church is about all that God is. And for people of different races, different cultures, different ages coming together to experience how wonderful and amazing our Savior is. And then being personally challenged to commit myself just as Jesus did for me to love and care for and to grow my brother and sister so that they can truly enjoy the full riches of Christ and completely understand all that God is. And the thing is, the challenge that we have today is that God is saying it takes your commitment as a minister in order to contribute to that. The moment that you choose not to do that, you block people from experiencing Christ if you're a member of our church. So the challenge that I have for you today is, will you please be a member, or sorry, will you please be a minister? Be a minister in this church. Be a minister in your CG. Be a minister for the kingdom. Don't, let's stop this membership stuff. Let's be a minister so that we could be the church that God always meant for us to be. Let's commit ourselves to that today. Let's pray.
Father, thank you so much. That you love every single person in this room. And the reason why they're sitting here is because you want to speak to them and you want to love them, you want to embrace them. And God, that you want to challenge them to take that next step within their faith. And I love it that it's not like we have to be this most mature person. It's not like we have to be this old person or this young person. There's no condition to that. All that is is that we're here. And, and Father, we just want to be that. So help us be that. Teach us what it means to be a minister. And Father, as difficult as it is, because you said it's going to be difficult, God, use us powerfully so that our generation and many generations to come can know Jesus. Help us to invest in what truly counts for eternity. And that's you and this church. So God, train us to be ministers and ambassadors for you and your glory. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.